You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Welcome. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Jimmy Young. I'm one of the, well, I'm the assistant minister here, not one of them. Uh, and it's a great joy. Uh, is this on? I've got the red light. Can you hear me now? Here we go. Well, I wonder what your experience of Christmas has been at the moment. If you're anything like me over the last couple of years, Christmas for me growing up was a magical season, something that I looked forward to with great anticipation, something that I loved. But something that I've noticed over the last couple of years is that the magic seems to have dissipated somewhat, that Christmas has become this incredibly busy season. It's tiring. You go to all these different shopping centers to try and get the perfect gift, trying to work out what it is that the people you love want for Christmas. Christmas has become overwhelming. What used to be this explosion of joy for me has become tiring. I was talking with someone this week and they said the thing that they hate most about Christmas is buying presents for people who they have no idea what they want. I wonder if that has been some of your experience. And even as I head over to the shops, whether in Cranbourne or in Fountain Gate, there's just so much activity. You turn on the television and there's ads about what you must buy or what other people might want or what you need. And I remember an experience I had sitting down with some friends of ours one Christmas where we did a secret Santa where you buy $10 gifts for each other and uh, people take turns to pick a gift and you get what you unwrap. It's a secret, a mystery. I remember sitting there after it, almost discouraged, thinking, how did we get here? How did we get from the birth of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to exchanging these trivial trinkets in Christmas? See, I think part of the reason that Christmas has lost its magic for me is that we've taken what is good and made it the centre. We've taken what is good and made it God. And yet each year as we watch the advertisements, we watch the news, we fill our lives with more and more and more. Retail does bigger and bigger Christmases every single year and yet it cannot satisfy our souls. Herman Bavink, who was a a Dutch reformer, had this to say, that the more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our life becomes. With all its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it. You could have everything that you ever desire come your way this Christmas, and yet it's not enough to satisfy The word that the Bible uses for what's going on at Christmas for so many of us is idolatry, is that we've taken something good, gift-giving, celebration, joy, and put it in the center. We've made it God. And in fact, that's the same problem that Israel had in Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 10. They've taken something good and made it God. And the problem that happens is when you take your eyes off God, you end up in all kinds of strange and mysterious places. 
So we read this about Israel. Isaiah condemns them, saying, The Lord speaking, as my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idol, whose images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria. Shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols what I've done to Samaria and her images? God condemns them for idolatry, for taking their eyes off the Lord. And it's not just that they have these idols. It's not just that their minds and their eyes and their ears are full of other things. It's that it's led them into some really dangerous, unhealthy places. Particularly, they oppress the poor. It says, you make iniquity, iniquitous decrees who write oppressive statutes to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be your spoil and that you may make the orphans your prey. Israel has taken their eyes off God and it's led them into a place where they oppress the poor. When we take our eyes off God, it leads us into unhelpful places. So what God does is he sends a neighboring nation, Assyria, to invade them and take them over as his judgment. But Assyria isn't any better. They're just as proud, they're just as idolatrous. In fact, uh, if you read, as I'm sure you all have, the annals of Adid Narari, uh, it's a, a bestseller at Christmas, flying off the shelves. This is something that Assyria said around this time. When at the command of the great gods, my lordly sovereignty has manifested itself going forth to plunder the goods of the land. I am royal, I am lordly, I am mighty, I am honored, I am exalted, I am glorified, I am powerful, I am all-powerful, I am brilliant, I am lion-brave. Not just brave, lion-brave. Manly, supreme, and noble. You can't help escape the fact that these people are pretty proud of themselves. They're, they're pretty happy with their lot in life. They are lion brave. They're in the same place that Israel is. And so what God does is he sends Assyria to oppress Israel, to invade them, but then he lops down Assyria. Look The sovereign, the Lord of hosts, will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The tallest trees will be cut down and the lofty will be brought low. He will hack down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon with its majestic trees will fall. And so you end chapter 10 in a fairly hopeless place. Israel has been condemned, judged. Assyria, the nation who has taken them over, has been lopped down. It's a fairly hopeless chapter until you get to Isaiah chapter 11, the very next verse. A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse, we may know, is the father of David. Saying out of the line of David, a shoot will fruit, a branch shall grow out. Hope arises of a vanity. we see God as all justice, all judgment, that he's the great policeman in the sky who judges every one of our deeds and doesn't really have much mercy left over for us. That's his primary role. Or that we have God as all merciful. He sees it, he forgives it. It's all good, baby. But actually what we see in these passages is that God is both all 
justice and all mercy all the time. He combines them. Out of his judgment comes mercy and even his judgment is mercy. He judges Israel, he judges Assyria and yet hope shoots out from the stump of Jesse. From the leveling that God has done of both Israel's pride and Assyria's pride, there comes hope. In the coming Messiah, the Jesus that we look forward to at Christmas. And it's important that we wrap our head around this because we have a tendency to infantilize Jesus at Christmas. That he's the baby that was born. It's sort of like if you've seen Talladega Nights where they keep praying to sweet baby Jesus and they forget that sweet baby Jesus is the same baby Jesus who will die on a Roman cross we can take him for granted i remember that once at christmas my brother who was 11 at the time was given by one of our grandparents a coloring in book for four-year-olds now i laughed a lot at the time because i was a mean older brother but that's infantilizing someone that's treating them as a child when they are no longer a child and so we have to remember that the same Jesus, who is born, who we look forward to at Christmas, becomes a man who dies on a cross. That's where our hope comes from. And Isaiah says a couple of things about Jesus, about the coming Messiah, about the shoot of Jesse that are worth paying attention to, particularly how he relates to God and how he relates to people. It says this about him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's not just that he's a great leader. It's not just that he's powerful or wise. It's the spirit of God rests upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Over the last couple of years, I've paid attention to politics far more than at any time in my life. And potentially you have too. But the thing about politicians that that just strikes me again and again and again is it doesn't really matter who you vote for. Right or left, conservative or progressive, Labor, Liberal, Greens, Independent. Our leaders are all fairly broken people. They're all sinful They sometimes operate with wisdom and sometimes with stupidity. Sometimes they operate with great understanding and compassion and sometimes with malice and anger. That is not Jesus. That is not the shoot of Jesse. He operates with wisdom and understanding, counsel and might. And he operates in the fear of the Lord. He knows God. He walks in perfect relationship with him. In fact, the next uh, line says, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He delights in the Lord. What it's saying is that this Jesus can be trusted. There are very few politicians we trust, very few leaders we trust, particularly in Australia. We have the tall poppy syndrome that anyone who rises too far above, we want to chop them down. Jesus alone cannot be chopped down because he can be trusted. love what Ray Ortland says. When we begin to trust him, 
Jesus more than we trust ourselves, we start to understand what it means to trust Him at all. We trust Him because He's good. He's filled with the spirit of wisdom and understanding and walks in the delight of the fear of the Lord. But this shapes everything. This shapes how He treats people. Now remember that Israel is under judgment for how they treat the poor. But notice what it says about the coming shoot of Jesse. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. He acts in righteousness. He's a just judge. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. Other translations have it. That he does not operate out of what he hears. Well, he, or that's in verse 3. He should not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. He's not like Israel who operates with these kangaroo courts. Just of what they can hear or what they can see. He operates in full righteousness. Fully understanding. Fully with justice. Because the truth is that where there is injustice, there is a lack of peace. I don't know if you've been treated uh, unjustly before, but I, I remember when I'm, I feel like I haven't got the fair shake of the sauce bottle. When I've been treated poorly, there's a restlessness inside of me. that I, I, it, Something needs to be put right. When we're treated unjustly, we are restless. And when nations are treated unjustly, there is a restlessness among the nations. But that is not the case with the coming shoot of Jesse, the Messiah, Jesus. Because he operates with justice and mercy, what we find is peace. This beautiful description of predatory animals, dangerous animals lying down with the vulnerable. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know if you, you read that, and the first thought that comes into my head is, run! Right? You're, you're sitting down with bears and leopards and lions. Like That's a dangerous situation to be in. And yet, it's not, because natural enemies, the division, the anger, is gone. The peace of the Lord is over the earth, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, there's a couple of things going on that Isaiah might be hinting at here. One, he might be talking about the nations that surround Israel, that these great nations that continually threaten Israel in their day, there may be peace in the land. But he's also reaching forward to that great day when there will be no more violence Ever. For the former things have passed away, what we read in Revelation. See, what the shoot of Jesse, what Jesus ushers in, is an age of peace. 
you've probably been asked something like this uh, around Christmas. What would you like for Christmas this year? And we immediately think of all the things that our hearts desire, but how many of us want peace? See, Christmas is not just about giving and receiving. It might be about giving and receiving peace, about those who were enemies bearing the hatchet, forgiving one another, knowing that that's what the Prince of Peace, Jesus, ushers in in our lives. Now, I know this church. This church has seen its fair share of disagreements over the years. Maybe this is the season to bury the hatchet. Maybe this is the season, this Advent season, to forgive. And you might very well sit there and go, how? How do I overcome this frustration, this anger, this division that lies in my heart? How, how can I possibly forgive that person? I think verse 10, which we didn't read out today, is the answer. It says this, On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. It says that the root, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the people. And you go, well, what's a signal? Well, it sort of operates in the same manner as a flag or a banner. Right? The root of Jesse shall be uplifted as a flag or a banner, signifying peace. And can you think of any other time when the root of Jesse, the Son of God, was lifted up as a flag? It was on the cross. It was on the cross where the Prince of Peace had the full measure of God's justice poured out on him so that we could experience peace with God forever. See, that's what we look forward to at Christmas. That's what we look forward to in the birth of Jesus. It's not just this general vague peace. It's that we look towards the Prince of Peace who died for us. And if we can have peace with God through his sacrifice, then we can have peace with one another. If God can forgive me, then we can forgive each other. So yeah, I really really struggle with the commercialism of Christmas at the moment. And I'm fighting hard to be a Grinch. Fighting hard not to be a Grinch, rather. But the place that that comes from is that I know that even if I never received another gift for the rest of my life, but what I received is a greater understanding, a greater glimpse, a better understanding of the Prince of Peace who died for me, then that would be truly all I ever needed. That's what we look forward to at Christmas. That's what we need. And so I want us to give us a minute. A minute to sit and reflect and meditate. Meditate on two things. One, take a moment to reflect on Jesus who died for you. Who ushers in this age of peace. And as you think of that, think of someone who, you, who God might bring to mind to forgive, to usher in peace between you. I just want to give us a minute to do that and then I'll pray. So let's just take some time now.